talking about life, faith, and everything in between. This is Messy Christianity. And good afternoon. Welcome again back to uh, Messy Christianity. I almost called it by another name. <laughs> Brent, how are you today? Good. And if you're listening on the other side of the world, good morning, good evening, good night. <laughs> that was awesome. Kevin, how are you? Man, I'm good. Good morning. Excellent. <laughs> hey, this is going to be a fun one today because it, it kind of hits at something that we all see, we all recognize, uh, but but it hurts. Yeah. I don't at know if fun's the right word. <laughs> yeah. It, it usually hurts. To be honest with you, though, too many people can actually get giddy when this happens as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, the topic is, what do we do when leaders fall or when, when spiritual leaders fall? We're talking about pastors. We're talking about mentors. We're talking about teachers, anybody who is... Uh, a, a spiritual giant in our eyes or, or a spiritual influence, mm-hmm. and if they fall. Now, the fall could be anything. It could be some type of sexual sin. It could be some sort of money scandal. It, it could just be uh, they disappear because of the weight of ministry, um, all kinds of reasons. But no matter why or no matter who, it still has a ripple effect in the body of Christ. And so with that said, uh, I guess I'll start. Um, it's somewhat disconcerting that in the last two or three years, several high-profile pastors have resigned from their post um, or have been forced out. And you know, I'm, I won't necessarily name names, but uh, we all know there's there's. It's almost like a, an epidemic at this point. So how, how do we deal with that? What do we do? I think we've seen evidence of this for many, many years. Now, all of us in this room were born in the '70s, and I remember. Just during the 80s time frame. I was born in the 60s, so. (laughs) Were you really? 69, 69, baby. 69. That was a good year. Summer of 69. 69. (laughs) All right, we're going to do another shout out now. Okay. (laughs) Oh, by the way, Molly Spivey, love the idea. I really think we're on to something. So the plan is let's do a shout Shout out out. and then let's say to the person, hey, we did a shout out. Yeah. And but not tell them when. That way they start listening. That's right. And they wait to hear their name. That's Boom. right. Yeah. So late sixties, early seventies. We all remember the the large church scandals. The most obvious one that comes to mind during that time frame is PTL. But really, this is not yeah. something that's new. No. We've seen this throughout ministry, and it's not. What's unique about it is it's not subjected. If that's the right word, it's not. Um, it's not encircling only one camp so to speak. So it's not just this denomination or this particular group. It seems to be across the boards. So you get each group that we would associate, whether it's a denomination or um, just whatever they whatever they seem to be connected, and there's this spiritual fallout over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it is an epidemic. And to me, it's just a reminder in, in the scriptures of of you know, just one of the scriptures we talk about: be careful if you're going to be a teacher because you're held to a higher standard. Right. There is some legitimacy to that, not only because of the, the teaching standard, but also the weight of responsibility that's on the shoulders. And we know the way the evil one works, where those who are making the most impact for Christ, there's a ton more spiritual warfare directed toward those individuals or that particular group because of the impact that they're making for Christ. I had a mentor of mine years ago who gave me this visual picture of a bullseye. And he made the illustration and said, basically, 
if there's a, uh, a morning and an evening, a day and a night in hell, let's assume for a moment there is, then the devil would wake up every single morning with a top 10 list of the people he wants to put a target on to take them out because of the impact for Christ. Now, we know that's not scripturally accurate from that perspective, but the idea is the same, that those who are passionately pursuing Christ or making an impact in the world do put a, a larger marker on mm -hmm. them so that the battle, which is in the heavenlies, they they really stick out. It's almost like they're on the radar of the evil one, mm -hmm. and they're targeted more more heavily. You know, Benny Prophet, I think, taught me a lot about this, and I, I think out. you had... You know, shout out. Benny Prophet. Yep. I'll tag him as well. Yep. Uh, but he, he talked about spiritual authority, and he taught on it, and I'm trying to remember who he referenced taught him about it or where he what he read on it, but... Essentially, it was the understanding that in the spiritual world, there are spiritual authorities. And just as you say, the best way to kill a snake is to cut off his head. So, And I think the way he described it, Benny, that is, is he said the pattern of the enemy's attack is he's going to start with the head. So he's going to start with the father, the husband, the pastors. If he can't get that, he's going to then go to the wife, or then he's going to go to the teachers. If he can't do that, he's going to mess with the children. He goes on down because the the more spiritual authority you have, the more people will fall if you fall. And I think the enemy's been doing the same trick since sure. since the beginning of time. Go after those who influence people, which is which is really a double warning. One, if you're a leader, if you have spiritual authority, be on your guard because at the moment that you least expect it, you know, David, I think, was a prime example. King David, the, the least possible expectation of, of attack, that's when the enemy's going to hit. And he has, he's like the Taliban. He has no problem waiting 100 years to retaliate or to attack. He just, he just sits back and he watches and he looks to jump out and get you. So with the, with the understanding of spiritual authority, I think that's why we see spiritual leaders fall mm. because the enemy knows that that will damage at least potentially the kingdom of God. The, uh, the original question today, I think, was uh, how do we deal or how do you deal with when a spiritual leader falls, which is harder for me to answer than um, it's harder for me to answer than what does it mean to us? I mean, so to me, it's two different questions. So I think as a spiritual leader falls um, and it's one of our own personal mentors, we two things. We should grieve. We should be upset, but we should also not be surprised. Yeah. I mean, so both of those things have to go on, but where this conversation is going, and I think it is, it's fine that we're going here is, uh, let it be a reminder to us that, that, um, anybody, anybody susceptible, it can happen to absolute to, to me, to any of us. Um, so, you know, as our, as our own personal ones, you know, even if they're personal to us or if they're just prominent people in the, in the faith, um, you know, it, it's not a shocker, um, but it but it hurts nonetheless. Um, so, you know, I mean, we, See, go ahead. You talk about grief. So the stages of grief, yeah. not necessarily in a particular order, but you've got anger, right? You've got denial. Um, is It's amazing to me how even when evidence is out, there are some people who will absolutely flat out deny nothing happened. Yeah. Now, and I'm not talking about when there's just speculation. I'm talking oh, yeah. about when there's cold, hard evidence. Right. It's impossible for a person sometimes to see the truth of it because they have such an ideation of who this person is. And then that hurts the kingdom even worse because um, what inevitably a denial leads to 
I'll just throw the word out there, but it leads to a cover-up. Yeah. Um, and cover-ups don't work, and then it just makes what's something that's horrible already become very much worse. Um, you know, and at our nature, if somebody fails, we're upset, and it has hurt the kingdom, and, and yeah, there's some anger there. Um, but as people... Um, forgiveness is extended. I mean, I've found that people can be very forgiving. Uh, you know, it, it, for the one that's in the failure, I think there is a, <laughs> the best thing to do if somebody is in that position is to, is we've said this, I think many times on this, is to own it. Just come out and, and um, lay the cards on the table um, and, and, and deal with the situation and, you know, it, it, it does. It, it, there's no way around it. It hurts. If, if somebody has fallen, it hurts not just them. It hurts those around them. It hurts everybody. It does hurt. If the body, if one in the body hurts, all suffer. There's no way around that. Yeah. But to hide it is just prolonging and making it, delaying the inevitable. Yeah, in the, in, in the world in which we live, you can't hide anything. No. It's eventually going to come out. And I don't think it is. I think it's always worse to let somebody make up their own story than to just come sure. out and say this is what happened. Sure. Now there's always a danger of an, an excess of that. Um, mm. You can celebrate something that you shouldn't celebrate, or at least it can appear that way. Yeah. You got denial, but then you have anger. So what happens when we get angry at the spiritual leaders who fall? What What's our reaction in our anger that you've seen? Well, anger itself is not a sin. <clears throat> right. Sure. It's what anger leads to at that point that we choose to sin. So even Jesus gives us examples through his actions of righteous anger, and then we all know the consequences of unrighteous anger, which leads to separation. And anger is its something that, that we deal with, and especially when you see, we're talking about larger spiritual leaders of, of churches, and that's kind of where this is, is going what is the evidence of, of that anger? Churches split. Families divide. Hard conversations. I would not even say hard. I would say harsh. Yeah. Ungodly, unloving conversations. Finger pointing. Uh, unforgiveness. Character assassination. On and on. It really is. We see that in the political world day in, day out. But it it should not be that way in the Christ-following world. There's biblical so much biblical mandate on how to deal with these these different situations but it's almost hard not to especially if it's somebody that we're close to now it's a it's a television pastor or it's a pastor of a large church that I've never heard of a different denomination I just shake my head and go on and it's like mm-hmm. wow how sad is that how pitiful is that but when it hits home that's a whole nother level mm-hmm. that's a whole nother part of of grief that's a whole nother part of responsibility on our part and to walk through that with, with others, it, it can either increase our love for each other and our adoration and our um, walking hand in hand, or as the evil one wants it, it, it really does divide and destroy what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, on, it, it's as much on us as the ones who are in the, in the avalanche of the of the fall from someone else as it is for the other person who's the quote-unquote cause of it. Yeah. So our anger can come out 
and, and it can be expressed with name-calling, with pouring on, with, with adding insult to injury. You know, for instance, if, if somebody, is, uh, uh, somebody falls in, through unfa- marital unfaithfulness, the, the pouring it on would be, yeah, but you remember, I remember they were, they were in such and such a place. Oh, I bet they were doing something then. And, and you, you kind of build this narrative around what you, what you go back in time and, and remember. And it's really unfair to the person who's fallen. And it's really unbiblical. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in the scripture are we commanded to talk about somebody's sin in a way that is unloving, unkind. And but here's what we do: we do it in the name of truth. Right. We we but, would just want to expose truth. So uh, I agree with everything you just said. But but I, I do agree with it. But <laughs> um, the. The world is watching us closely. The unchristian world, let's call them. I mean, we our circles we call it the lost world, but they're watching us. So, if we have somebody that that that, that falls, that's, that's prominent, whether it be a big, big, big leader in you know the Christian community, or even just somebody, you know, in our congregation, they're watching us. Um, so, to me, there's two different scenarios. If you have somebody that has fallen, and there's a a an admittance, there's an there's a there's a sorrowfulness. There's a you know a grieving on their part. Like they're owning it. That's one scenario. If you got somebody who's justifying their acts and denying their acts, there's a fine line there because I think people are watching us and they want to see us stand up. So it, it is you know we do it in the name of truth. There is a time where we have to call call a spade a spade and say what they did was wrong and. We're calling it out too. Does that make sense? Like I mean, absolutely, so. I I don't disagree at all. My but. issue, is, well, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, there's really go. no but. Yeah, I, I I'm saying more of the the giddy, excited, condemning nature of what we say. Yeah, no. We so don't it's not it it's it's no. enough to say I fully agree that the evidence is here. This was wrong. We don't condone it whatsoever. But we love this person. Sure. And we're going to be kind. I think Jesus talked about it very clearly. He said, be careful, because the measure by which you judge, that's the measure you'll be judged. Right. And, you know, that's a misquoted text all the time, but it may fit. In this what, scenario, he, what he's yeah. saying is, look, be careful how, how closely you point out somebody's sin, mm-hmm. because God is going to reciprocate that to you. And he's really calling for grace right, and mercy. And mercy and grace do not exclude justice. Right. Without naming exact names here, former area I used to work in, fairly good-sized congregation in that area, uh, pastor left his wife, divorced her, married the 20 years younger version that he had apparently had been having an affair with uh, for years before the divorce. Then comes out later that uh, there was abuse, not just to the old, to the former wife, but also to this new wife, um, was having... (sighs) Drug parties at his house. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Multi-million. That's a way to build a church. Multi-million dollar home wow. that was counted as a parsonage, so it was doing tax write-offs. And there are people listening to this podcast who know exactly what I'm talking about. But on and on and on and on. And I knew people that were in that congregation that would defend that joker to their death because he was a good communicator and pretty polished. Well, I don't know the latest, but I know he's done prison time. Like, it, it got that bad. 
to me, that's the extreme example that I'm yeah. talking about that, you know what? No, this guy is wrong. And okay. We love him in the name of Jesus, but God's got to deal with him. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, like that's, that's the extreme I'm talking about is, um, because there were people in that congregation that just, this is our pastor. We love him. And well, that's almost a, another conversation is because you said two sides of it. You got one side where the person is penitent and yeah. seeking right. forgiveness. Right. The other side where they're just going to walk in their mistakes and just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. And as a church follower, as a church member, yeah. uh, or or just sitting in a Sunday school class where your teacher mm-hmm. is living it in right. that way, or seminary professor living that way. You, the the list is ongoing. What do we as Christ followers do in that situation? Now we have to forgive them, obviously. Obviously, yeah. we have to follow biblical mandate. But do we consider continue to sit in that? And at what point do my yeah. words split a church? Because I've got some in the church, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm, Kevin, mm-hmm. who would say, this is wrong. We can't be a part of this. He needs to go. Mm-hmm. She needs to go. Or we're going to support that person, life or death, right or wrong, because they right. are God's person, yeah. regardless of the sin nature that they're living in. Well, let me tell you, you can look at Old Testament principle and see that the kings were who God placed there. And yet so many of them, one after another after mm-hmm. another, in the scripture themselves said they were horrible before the Lord. They were defiled before the Lord. They were not godly people. Mm-hmm. Well, they were the kings, so we're supposed to honor them and respect them. So there's biblical mandate about that. So what do we do? What do we do as Christ followers when we're sitting in a situation and the person that we love and admire and respect have a fall? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I say on a regular basis to the people that are part of my circle of influence. I say, please do not put me on a pedestal. Yeah, please. Because the higher the pedestal is, the farther I fall. fall. Yeah, it really is. And and I'm not even suggesting that I'm going to do uh, fall into some dramatic, mm-hmm. off the wall, crazy mm-hmm. ministry splitting, church dying type of decision. But just my very sin nature as a yeah. as a hum- human, you're going to see me do something driving the car one day that I probably shouldn't do. And now because I'm on a pedestal... You know, I was going to mention that to you because the other day in front of the elementary school, you and your gray Toyota, I just or Honda or, you know, with all (laughs) that... That minivan cutting I'm I'm just saying. With the Uh, Disney store. You know, Tevin, I'm I'm not trying to, you know, just pray about this because I I didn't hear him, but I read the lips on through the window, Mm -hmm. through the darkened window, and I'm pretty sure he used... One of those Christian cuss words. Mm-hmm. Pretty uh, sure. Pat yes. Sajak. Pat Sajak. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. Thank you once again. No. You were talking about not a, not a major, major moral yeah. failure, but, but you're a human but being. But just the idea of a pedestal. Yeah. So how much of that really is on us to carry that anger and frustration against someone that should not have been on a pedestal to begin with? Yeah. There's, there's, because there's a difference between honoring them, respecting them, looking at them and as idolizing spiritual them. authority. They're, they're, they speak the truth. They have influenced my heart and my life. They've guided me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yet, as Jeff just mentioned, that could actually be idolatry because mm-hmm. we look at them to get the Word of God instead of the Holy Spirit yeah. inside of us to get the Word of God, to speak the Word of God. I'm looking for that person to tell me what to do with my life instead of asking right. God what He wants me to do with my life. Right. And so when I put those people or that person above my relationship with God, that in itself is idolatry. And when an idol falls, wow, we really get upset about that. I would almost argue that worse than a major fall of infidelity or 
um, some type of financial scandal or something like that. Worse than that would be the sinister nature of pride in thinking too much of ourselves as spiritual leaders because there's a, there's a deceit there. There's a deception there, and that means I become unteachable. That means I become arrogant. Mm-hmm. That means I become the, the one, right. and I stop looking at Christ, and I start looking at me, and I think I'm, yeah. I'm more important than I really am. And so that may not be as visible of a fall, yeah, but but that's almost. Think of the Apostle Paul. He he does say, "Follow me as I follow Christ." So he does give that. He's kind to, of special. He does, but but at the same time, he says, uh, "Hey, I'm the chief of all sinners. Yeah. I, yeah. I do things I don't want to do." So you know, I think that's kind of a a recipe for us as leaders. Is yeah, hey, we want to be your mentor. We want to lead you. We, we, but we recognize we can only take you to where we are ourselves. Yeah. That's as far as we can go. But we're telling you, don't put us on a pedestal. Um, put Jesus on that pedestal. That's the right person. So. And perhaps that's the very flaw of discipleship is when discipleship becomes about the person who's teaching yeah. instead of the pointing of the individual to Jesus. Yeah. I think that is probably the, um, the reason so many of the uh, – popular, I don't know the right word to use, the the mega pastors, whatever, who have fallen over the last handful of years, they became the center of the church. It was, they were the personality that drove the whole ship. And because of that, it just became too much for that person to to carry. So that's an accountability issue. Absolutely. That reminds me of a story that Kevin told me just a few weeks ago about Billy Graham. Yep. How about sharing that story really quick? Because that's incredible about the accountability. Won't you come today? Well, that, yeah. that he had. Just Won't you surrender? Yeah, but Billy Graham in his ministry built accountability in from the very, very, very beginning. And um, it's a shout out to Netflix. Uh, there's a documentary on Netflix about him. I wish I had a free Netflix code. Uh, well, yeah, one of our lists. No, that's illegal. We're not going to do that. <laughs> uh, but Billy Graham, he. Um, you know, successful as he was, it's called the Billy Graham documentary. Uh, well, no, I'm talking about his his ministry still oh, is oh, the oh. B- Billy Graham Evangelist Ministry, whatever. But Billy Graham never liked his name being the title of it because he he said for the whole time that it was a team of people, um, and so many people went ahead of him and were surrounding him. Uh, I can't remember his best friend. It was George with, Beverly Shea. No, not no nope. one Shea. Uh, Cliff Barrows. Maybe Barrows. Yeah. They shared a room most of the time uh, when they traveled. Um, so, you know, it, it, there was accountability the whole time. And you even mentioned that up until his 70s and 80s, as he was traveling, he would not stay in a hotel room by nope. himself because of the accountability. Accountability, yeah. Yeah, smart so. guy. So, um, denial. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Right. Um, anger. And then with the anger can come name-calling, pouring on insults, Going back and trying to dig up skeletons out of the closet. Mm-hmm. What's a, what's another um, part of grief? I, I, I would say just numbness. Like yeah, apathy just, could say. Yeah, that. I just don't yeah. care anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, okay. So we every church, every church leader, every church member listening to this, we all know people that I'm done with the church. I'm never coming yeah. back because they were hurt by somebody. Um. Because the reality is, let's just own it. Let's just be truthful. That's churches. Churches are full of people. <laughs> Surprise, shocker, and people mess up. People mm-hmm. screw up. So 
that is going to happen. Um, but those people that get to that place of, I'm never going back, I just don't care anymore, that's that apathy state. Yeah. That may be a worse state to be, than, oh, no, sure. it is, than to be angry. I think that's a worse place to be. Um, well, yeah, it's, you're, you're, you turned it off. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to know how you can, how you can hate the bride and, and love the groom. Yeah. You can't. I mean, the church, the body is the groom or is the bride of Christ. Yeah. Um, but yes, completely true. But they got there because of a hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's why this is such an important topic because it does happen. It, it absolutely happens. Um, so there's so many people that listen to this. The ones that are listening, that for whatever reason they're listening and they're in that place where they've been hurt in the past, we're sorry. You know, we, we recognize that, that somebody yeah. has hurt you. Okay. Um, for those of us listening that are not necessarily hurt by something in the past, maybe we've experienced it, but we've let it go or whatever. We got to be reminded that we have enough power to really deeply hurt, especially those of us in leadership type of situation, we can really hurt somebody for yeah. eternity. I mean, that's a, an incredible weight we carry. But that's it's also scary. fair to say, or safe to say, I think, that I don't know many guys in ministry, I know a few maybe, but I don't know many that would intentionally hurt somebody, that that's just their goal. I just want to take people off and hurt them. Right. It usually comes from a brokenness inside of that person and the hurt mm-hmm. is a result of something that's not right in that person, yeah. which is where I think it's important for us to learn to extend grace. Um, learned this from um, a friend of mine several years ago, but we're supposed to give unconditional positive regard, which means I'm always going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, if I know you and I know your pattern and, I, and there's a history, then that doesn't necessarily apply because the, I, have a, I, have, I have a reason yeah. to say, hey, there's something going on here. But for the most part, we should give people the benefit of the doubt and at least give them a chance to explain. Yeah. Um, I talked to a guy not too, not too long ago where uh, there, were, there, there, were, there were suspicions of some sort of impropriety, and then there were accusations, but he was never given a chance really to explain. Mm-hmm. And so there were things going on that, that were not public that he was just it, it, something that was done to him but because of his respect, he yeah he he took the brunt of right. a lot of accusations, and you know Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Mm. If we as the people of God crucify those who we have trusted and followed when they mess up, then we are no better than any Roman. We're no better than any yeah. Babylonian. We're no we're no better than any culture. That just takes takes people and throws them away when that when they screw up, because it's going to happen. Well, without getting into psycho babble, Doctor Phil one hundred and one here. But you're so good at it. I am good at this sometimes. Um, that is so easy to do when somebody else fails. It's it's a it's a great way for me to start making myself feel better. Yeah. The work. The further they fall down, the more I can say I told you so, or look at me, I'm better than them. We don't say it quite that clearly out loud, but that's what that's what kind of internally we're saying to ourselves. Um, so yeah, we got to be very very careful about jumping on somebody like that. So what about the fact that when somebody falls, we have a tendency, and this is general statement I know, we have a tendency to take everything they've ever said and everything they've ever done and totally wipe it off the map. 
I, nothing they ever said was good. Nothing they ever did right. was valuable because because they've fallen. That's a mistake as well. Okay, absolutely. I mean, will we do that with Peter? You know, will we do that with Paul? Yeah. Will we do that with Luther, Cal? I mean, yeah. you name it. There is not a single—Billy Graham. Yeah. He had many blunders. Yeah. Um, not moral necessarily, but he had other blunders. Well, he's human. Yeah, They're all human. human. Yeah. yeah. So we can't throw away the messenger and his message just because of a fall. There's nobody that loved God more than King David. And right. yet King David totally blew it. Yep. But he's still one of God's choicest servants. A lesson there, though. King David, after the fall... Never the same. He Well, never the same. And it was never the same again. But his heart was uh, repentant. That's yeah. um, a lesson for... That's a lesson to the person who's fallen. You know, it... it and by the way, we've all fallen to some extent. Uh, we're, we're talking here about the big, big, bad yeah. moral failures. Um, but we've all done something. <laughs> yeah, I've got video too. So Yeah, and that's why I'm, yeah. Better watch it. Blackmail. Yeah. It's all good. It'll be on our website next week. <laughs> <laughs> For uh, our paid subscribers only. <laughs> For paid subscribers. Any, let's, let's close this up. Um, so we admit, we, we acknowledge that leaders are going to fall. We certainly hope that they don't. What do I do if a leader falls? What should my response be? Define that. Are you talking like a big pastor in America, or are you talking about somebody close to you? I'm talking about anybody that is a spiritual leader of ours, a spiritual mentor. What? Sh how should we personally respond? What is our responsibility? And, you know, obviously pray for them. If it's somebody close to me, I mean, that, that has been a spiritual mentor, I, I think my responsibility would be, a phone call, maybe hopefully even a personal visit, if, if that's possible. Let's talk. Hey, what happened? You know, um, I think that that's never going to be a bad decision. I don't think. I agree. And what you just said, Jeff, is a key word is to respond and not to react. Mm -hmm. So if we follow the principle of being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry in those type situations, then that allows us more time to internalize what's going on to listen to the voice and recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking within us on how to address. And we may be able to help bring that person uh, to the point of forgiveness. And we also have to keep in mind, forgiveness is unconditional. We ask forgiveness, mm. we're forgiven, period. Consequences, they're still around. Yeah. And even through forgiveness, we still have to pay the price of the consequences around the decisions that we make or that others make around mm -hmm. us. So it's it's a tough place to be in, but it's one that each of us should take seriously when if and when situations like that happen and approach it in love and respect mm -hmm. and honor and allow the Holy Spirit of God to do his work and not take on his responsibility and his job. Yeah. I like what Galatians six one tells us that if anyone is caught in a sin, those who are spiritual should restore them gently. And so what that passage is saying is that if someone is caught in a sin, you know, better translated, it's caught by a sin. It's the idea of they're not willfully, intentionally trying to offend God. They're not trying to disobey God. It's just that in their strife and struggle, they have been caught and, and they're, they're ensnared and they're entrapped. And so the ones who are spiritual are to restore them. And there's two pictures for that. One is the picture of a broken arm. And the bone has to be set, put back in alignment. 
The other picture is is the 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 in the Greek in, in the Greek in the New Testament. It's used as mending a net. Mm-hmm. So you're setting a broken bone, or you're mending a net. That's what restoration is. There's still there's still scars in both the net and the broken arm, but but you're placing it back into use. But but here's what the Bible says: the way we're supposed to do that is gently. I think that covers the whole issue. Gently means I love the person who's fallen. I'm not going to take my personal offense at their falling Mm -hmm. and turn it around as uh, ammunition against them. I'm going to take my offense and I'm going to set it aside and say, you know what? Me being offended, me being hurt... That's not what's most important here. It's important. There, there's a. I'm not. I'm not belittling that. I'm not. I'm not making light of it. But, but the person who's been caught by a sin, is is in desperate need of a friend. Mm. You know, the loneliest people on the planet are those who are in some type of spiritual leadership, because they're used to leading. And then when they fall, it's like cockroaches when when the light comes on. Yeah. Everybody abandons them, and they find themselves... T- and here's what they think. I've given my life for people. I've sacrificed. I've, I've given blood and sweat and tears. I've been there for them when they needed me in times like this, and now all of that's worthless because nobody's here. And i got to tell you, we got, we've got to change that within the church. We really do need to change that because if the enemy goes after leaders... And he is. And he is. If he if he can do that and cause them to get out of the fight, mm. then he's winning. And that's that that's not that's not that's not what the church is called to do. I know it's closing thoughts because we're done here. For the one who is in that position that has it's already happened, my encouragement is it's not over for nope. you. Own it and own it publicly even. Ask for forgiveness. And um, there are people are amazing yep. if if we allow them to be. Not everybody, but there are people who will be. God rarely uses a man greatly that he does not first crush completely. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who said it, but it's certainly true. Well, thank you. That was an interesting uh, and quick 33 minutes. Yep. Thank you for listening to Messy Christianity with Kevin, Brent, and Jeff. And we are going to catch you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to Messy Christianity. Three guys talking about life, faith, and everything in between. Want to know more? Check us out at www.storypointchurch.com or www.messychristianity.com.